I just want to begin by saying good morning to all of you again. And I want to say good morning and greetings. Special shout out to those of you joining us by video right now. If you're online or you're on TV or in our traditional sanctuary right now, I'm really glad we're connected like this. I'm glad we have this opportunity, all of us together, to learn and grow in God's word, to be restored to the fullness of life as followers of Jesus Christ. And as I'm greeting those of you who are joining us by video right now, it occurs to me, we were almost all joining each other by video actually for most of yesterday. My family and I were on vacation uh, until yesterday. And uh, I don't know, if you were here two weeks ago, you might remember maybe that I told you a story about a guy named Craig who got stuck in the Atlanta airport and it was a, a testing ground for his Christian growth and his hospitality and peace and love for others. And yesterday, we spent about 14 hours <laughs> in airports and airplanes, most of it at the Atlanta Hartsfield International Airport. And I thought, God, is this a joke? Are you like testing me here? Are you, this is your good sense of humor. And uh, for a lot of the day, I was figuring out how am I going to get to the hotel tonight and record this message and drop box it back to the people at First Lutheran. And Angie was working on a sermon, but because uh, what we want to talk about today is really important. There's something we need to talk about. Uh, fortunately, I'm back. I'm glad to be here with you. I put, uh, I put to the test the question of how much caffeine are you allowed to have before Sunday morning today. <laughs> we've been on a journey together, this Restored series. We've started for two weeks. We've been imagining, catching a vision for a restored human life, living the life that God wants for us. We've begun by inviting God's empowering presence, the Holy Spirit of God, into our lives to restore us. We've been We've been committing to cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Today, we kind of begin the journey in earnest. We start taking some of our first steps of restoration. We begin to be restored where we must begin, in our understanding of who God is, what our relationship with God can be like, our understanding of the character and the nature, the actions of God in our world. This is important because a lot of us, most of us probably, even those of us who are gathered here, most of us around the world have, over the course of our lives, developed damaged pictures of God. We've developed pictures of God that I would be willing to say are sub-Christian. They're sub-Jesus. And today we want to begin the journey of having our picture of God restored by the goodness and beauty and truth of Jesus. Some of you have begun reading this book called The Good and Beautiful God. It's a supplement to our series. You heard about it if you're here in our announcements this morning. There's a story at the beginning of that book. It's written by a guy named James Bryan Smith. And James Smith, he told a story of an experience that he and his wife had that, that tested their picture of God. They were expecting a child, a daughter, whom they later named Madeline. When she was eight months pregnant with this daughter, they learned that she suffered from a rare chromosomal disorder. That's what the doctors told them on the basis of this test, just a month out from delivery. And told, they told, the doctors told them as parents that the, their daughter would not survive the day of her delivery. That would be the first and last day of her life. Just devastated, right? Just blown away. They were as devastated as you imagine people would be in that circumstance. In the book, he says, we went from one moment planning our daughter's nursery to the next moment planning our daughter's funeral. How do you do that? And then their daughter was born, and it didn't come exactly true. She didn't die on that day. They discovered the diagnosis wasn't exactly right. But she was born with a heart defect, and she was deaf and couldn't hold food down, and she had a prognosis of living a year or two, which turned out to be about right. And over the course of that year or two, let, let's say two years, is that that's 730 days? 730 long days, right? Living through that. And as they went through those days, they were part of a church. They had friends, and their friends tried to comfort them. Well-meaning friends said things that, you know, the cringe-worthy things that you know that sometimes we say when we're trying to say the right thing, and, and we stumble, and 
just said, you know, they reassured them that everything happens for a reason. But it just makes you go like, what reason? Like, what, what reason, what God had a reason for that? Or people would say well-meaning things like, I, God just needed your beautiful daughter more than you did. Really? Because <laughs> he's that kind of monster that he would do that to me? One time along the journey, uh, a pastor friend of the father, James Brian Smith, the pastor friend, took him out to lunch. I don't, think, I, I don't think it was the pastor of their church. I think it was a pastor with whom he was acquainted. I have trouble telling this part of the story. It makes me so mad. <laughs> the pastor friend took him out to lunch and asked him, I don't know in what tone of voice, <laughs> but asked him, who sinned, Jim? You or your wife? Who, somebody must have sinned that God did this in your life. And over the course of these two years and in the grief of her passing, Jim and his wife, they, they began to take some of this stuff on board. It's hard really to keep it all out. And, and they began to ask, so what, what is God doing here? Is God doing something here? Why is God doing what God is doing here? Is God going to do something about this? Why would God act like this? So they began, their picture of God began to be formed by those experiences. You ever ask that question, something in your life? Why did God do that? Because that hurt. Why does it feel like that? Maybe you asked somebody else that. Maybe somebody asked you that. Why would God let this happen in my life? I'm a pastor. People ask me that question. It's a hard question. I'd like to go with Jesus' answer on this question. And there was a time when people came to Jesus with a situation just like that. We read the story in both of our worship venues here this morning. Some people came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, did you hear about the Galileans? That means people from the region of Galilee, which is a province of ancient Israel up in the north country. Jesus himself was from Galilee. Maybe they thought this would be a particular interest to him. Did you hear about the Galileans? They were down in Judea. They were in Jerusalem, the capital city in the southern province of Judea, where people would go to worship. Good Jewish people would go to worship on holidays like Passover and Pentecost. They would go down there and travel. Did you hear about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with the blood of their sacrifices? Like, what? They were there in the temple, and Pilate was the Roman governor. Some of you have heard his name before. He was the governor also not long afterward who presided over the execution of Jesus. So did you hear about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with the blood of their sacrifices? We don't really know any more details of the story, but they were down there in the south. It was an annual or actually more than once a year tradition to travel to the temple. Who knows exactly what way they had provoked Pilate, but Pilate thought they were troublemakers for some reason. He was known, he has a reputation for being kind of a, a gruesome, bloodthirsty, iron-fisted, untrustworthy governor. And at some point he decided, man, this group is in trouble. This group is going to cause trouble. So he sends his goons in, and they go into the temple precinct somehow and chop them down. Took down the Galileans that were in there. And this group of people comes to Jesus, and probably in whatever form of first century Aramaic, they would have asked Jesus, and they said to Jesus, what's up with that? What's, what? I, how do I make sense of that? Is God doing something? What, what kind of God does that? How do we understand what God is doing here? Well, Jesus answers their question, but at this phase, in this encounter, he really only takes it one step. I don't know if you've ever read many of the stories of Jesus' life, but he's kind of fond of answering questions with questions. Sometimes that's an important teaching method. Sometimes you have to start getting somebody thinking. In this case, I think, I think what Jesus had to do was kind of destabilize their present way of thinking before they'd be ready for a new one. 
Sometimes it's hard to begin to take on a new understanding, to, to begin to know God in a new way when you've just been so comfortable with the way that you already have it or you've made your peace with it. It kind of needs to get destabilized or some people say deconstructed before you can get a new picture. So Jesus asked them a question. He says, do you, you think those Galileans were worse sinners than everybody else? Is, is that what you think? Is that the picture of God that you've got, that, that God had like his sin radar going round and round, like boop, boop, boop. He's just waiting for it to show up. Boom. There's some really nasty sinners. They showed up big on the screen. And so God saw that and he got like missile lock on them, saw them in the temple, pressed fire, sent in Pilate and his goons and mowed them down. That's it, right? Is that, is that what you think? The picture of God you've got? Do you think those Galileans are worse sinners than everybody else? Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? But we are sometimes attached to pictures of God like that. We're, we're strangely drawn to that image of an angry, punishing God where there's cause and effect. When something bad happens in somebody's life, you can go, oh, I know I did that. Jim, who sinned? You or your wife? Because then it gives us the illusion of control. It makes us think, okay, we know why that happened to them, and as long as I'm not as bad as them, then it won't happen in my life. I've got control over the situation. We're very uncomfortable with things we don't understand, right? And so we understand it. They were just worse sinners than everybody else. Until Jesus asks the question out loud and goes, is that what you think? Because then you got to go, well, that's kind of stupid. I guess I don't really think that. And Jesus says, no, that's not it. And then I, I got to explain the next verse. No, Jesus says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you also will likewise perish. <laughs> Which at first sounds like he's contradicting himself, right? Did, didn't you just say, no, that's not the picture of God? But then you just said, if we do that, then God's going to get missile lock on us and blow us up and mow us down? It helps to know the context here a little bit. This line is, I think, sounds bigger than it, than it should be in the context we're talking about. One of the other ways that other Jewish leaders in Jesus' day imagined being faithful to God was to be a violent opponent of the Roman Empire, was to throw off Pilate, was to foment revolution against Pilate. And I think what Jesus was doing in context was saying, unless you turn from that, unless you repent, which is what, which is what repent means, is to turn from something, unless you turn from that, you're probably going to perish at Pilate's hands too. I think he's giving a warning to this other competitive philosophy of what it means to be faithful to God. But first he has to deconstruct their image of this angry, punishing God. And then there's, there's another instance, though, where Jesus gives a, a fuller picture of this, a, a fuller answer of what's God doing? How do we make sense of these things that happen that are so painful in our lives? Jesus, as he often does, oftentimes he answers questions with questions. And then when he wants to give us a new understanding, Jesus often told stories. Stories are very helpful for giving us a new picture. And one time in a context like this, Jesus told them a story. These are things that we call parables now. He said, imagine this. There was a man who went out into his, into his field, and he sowed good seed. There was a farmer who sowed good seed in his field. Now, if, if this were 2,000 years ago, and, and it's not, and you were a first century Israelite audience, you are not, and I were Jesus, let's not kid ourselves, I am not, we would have an understanding already. I would say, there's a man who went out and sowed good seed in his field, and you go, oh, he's talking about God. This is just kind of the stock imagery they have in their culture. They know that's how stories work. That's the story that Jesus, the rabbi, is telling. It's a story about God. And right from the beginning, what does Jesus say about God? That he's good, right? Not this angry, punishing, arbitrary God. God is good. He has plans for his field. His plans are good. He means to grow good things in the world. There was a man who sowed good seed in his field. And then Jesus said, there was an enemy who came along and sowed weeds in the field. 
There's a farmer who sowed good seed in the field, but an enemy came along and sowed weeds in the field. Now, why would the enemy do that? Isn't that the question we often want to know? Why is that bad thing happening? Where did that bad idea come from? What's its purpose? What's its origin? I think it's instructive that when Jesus tells a story, he doesn't explain that. It actually resonates with our realistic experience of the weeds that grow in our lives. We try to come up with explanations. It makes us feel better when we can, but oftentimes it just doesn't make that much sense. But Jesus says there was an enemy. Well, that's a whole new character in the story too, isn't it? There's an enemy. Now, in the Bible, that enemy has different names. We use different names, devil, Satan, all kinds of things. We don't have a lot of specific biography of the enemy in the Bible. Some people have portraits. You can see paintings of somebody with a hoof and hooves and horns and all that. That's probably not true. But there's an enemy came and sowed weeds in the field. And we live in the midst of those weeds. And in the story, Jesus said, then the weeds and the wheat began to come up together, which is very realistic. That's like our lives, isn't it? Not everything in any of our lives is totally bad. There's wheat. There's good things. God did good things in the field. God is good. He wills good for us in his world. But there are these weeds that sprout up. And so the servants of the master, they observe this, and they come to the master, and they say, hey, didn't you sow good seed in the field? I mean, it's kind of like the people came to Jesus about the Galileans. It's kind of like the prayers that you and I have prayed. We go, God, what's up with that? Did, I thought you sowed good seeds in the field. And he explains, I did. And then an enemy came. There's an enemy who came and sowed weeds. And so they ask, well, so what should we do about that? Should we, you want us to go out and rip up all the weeds? I don't know, maybe that'd be your reaction. That's kind of my reaction. I tend to like to respond to things. I'm a problem solver. I like to get things done. And God, the master of the field, says, no, you can't do that yet. Why not? You can't do that yet. In the process, you'll probably rip up as many wheat as you rip up weeds. They're all mixed together. You might not even be able to tell. You know, one of the hardest things, I think, in dealing with the weeds that grow in our lives is the time, right, is the, is the waiting. You go like, why won't you just fix that now? I could maybe accept that there's weeds growing in my life, but you could make it better, couldn't you? Why do we have to wait? Well, one answer Jesus gives is because when you get all excited, if I empower you, and that's how God works in this world, he's chosen to work through people. I empower you to clean up all the weeds. You might not understand what's wheat and what's weeds. You might have trouble telling the difference. Have you ever met someone who's so self-righteous and so motivated and so sure they know what's right, and they're just not? It's dangerous, isn't it? to get people going off on a holy war against something that they really are sure is wrong until they found out that they were wrong. It's also possible there are reasons that are just bigger than we understand. If there is such a thing as God in the world, then it's entirely probable that he has a bigger perspective than I do, that he understands things that you don't. And the master says to the servants in the field, he says, no, you, you gotta wait, you can't, you can't do that yet. You're gonna rip up too much wheat along with the weeds. But he says there is going to be a harvest time. There is going to be a judgment time. And at the judgment time, we'll gather up all the wheat. And we'll gather up all the weeds. And we'll do with wheat what is done with wheat. And we'll do with weeds what is done with weeds. And there will be justice. And the goodness that I intended for this field in the very beginning will be established. And everything will be put right. Jesus says, God, God didn't sow weeds in your life. God's not out there trying to get you. He's not there trying to hurt you. God is not this angry, punishing God whose radar is going round and round waiting for you to screw up so he can zoom in on you and nail you. God is good. And the pictures of God that we have that say otherwise hold us back 
they, 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 they cut down the growth that God means for our hearts. God is good, Jesus says. And, and if that was all that Jesus had said, I would want to come to Jesus together and I would want to say, Jesus, we're going to lay down our messed up pictures of God and take yours because I can see that your picture is good and beautiful and I would like to be restored to the good and beautiful God. But Jesus didn't just stop there. And I'm glad for that because up to that point, it's, it's a teaching. It's a story. It's a story from someone who ought to know, but it's still just something he told us. But Jesus didn't just tell people this. Jesus lived this. Jesus did this. I, I think you could say that this story that Jesus told about the wheat, the good seed that was sowed in the weeds, I think you could say that's a story about Jesus' own life. That maybe he was telling people how to understand what he was doing. Because isn't that what happened in Jesus' life? In him, God sowed good seed in the world. Man, never been better seed. Jesus was the one who went around, he found people who were hurting, and he, he bound up the brokenhearted, and he healed the sick, and he found the vulnerable, the people who were outcasts in society, who didn't matter to anybody else. And he said, you matter to God, and began to make a community out of them. And he found people who were broken and sinning and shamed, and brought to them the love and mercy of God and healed them in their souls and healed them in their bodies. He had a vision for making peace around the world. He had a, a vision for gender equality that the world had never seen before. We talked about some of this in a series a few months ago. Jesus was, man, if we could have everybody in the world be like that, imagine what the world would be like. Jesus was good seed in the world. And yet Jesus also faced opposition, right? and betrayal, and rejection, and misunderstanding. And eventually, Jesus experienced arrest and trial. Not a fair one, but a trial nonetheless. Conviction, a wrongful one, but a conviction nonetheless. And an execution. Under who? Governor Pontius Pilate. And then Pilate shed the blood of that innocent Galilean. Not all too far, honestly, from the temple precincts where he had mowed down some others earlier. Weeds. Weeds. And people who follow Jesus were like, what's up with that, God? Why? Jesus, in his full humanity on the cross, prayed that prayer, embodied for us in solidarity with our, with our need to know, with our prayers. Why, God, have you forsaken me? And yet was faithful to God, trusted in the goodness of God up to and through the point of death. And then there came the harvest time, just like Jesus said there would be. And on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead and vindicated him. And many of us live our lives on the Friday of Jesus' death, or we live our lives in the Saturday of what happened and why isn't it here yet? And then God brought Sunday. And God will bring Sunday into our lives. We have not only the story that Jesus told on this, but we have the life of Jesus on this to tell us and to show us that God is not someone who walks around angry, punishing, dealing death, diminishing life, but God is fundamentally and permanently good. And Jesus teaches us this, and he shows us this, and invites us to bring to him the damaged, sub-Christian pictures of God that we have developed in a hundred different places, that have been taught to us, that we've picked up through our experience, that we've put together in our own logic somehow. And maybe even in the compassion of Jesus, I can imagine him sitting down with any of us and hearing our story and going, I get how you got there. And I'm so sorry that you're dealing with that. Here, this is what God is like. 
and you began to see, we would begin to see God in the person of Jesus. I want to invite you in this moment, in this morning, in this series, in your soul training exercises, on your study guide, in your community groups. I want to invite you to do two things this morning as a step in the restoration of our picture of God. First, in the moments that follow in this worship service, in the moments of prayer and music and worship together, I want to invite you to come to Jesus and, and lay down the burdens that you have. To bring to Jesus the innocent Galileans of your life. Because you've got them. We do. It's a fact of life in this world. That there is stuff that's really hurt your heart. Over which you have gone, seriously, God? Why? Did I sin? Did my wife sin? It was probably her. I get it. What, where, what are those things in your life? The cancer diagnosis that came out of the blue? The tragic childhood disease that happened in your family? The abuse you suffered? The betrayal you've experienced? The abandonment? We've got that stuff. In the moments that follow in this service, in your soul training exercises, in your community groups, I want to invite you to bring that to God and, and lay it down. Bring it to Jesus and say like those people did, what's up with that? What? And allow Jesus to minister to your heart to ask you the destabilizing question that he needs to ask, to reconstruct for you the picture of the God who is good, the God who is like Jesus, the God who is good seed in the world, who intends, who wills good for you, deeply permanent good, and who will make good happen in your life. I want to invite you to bring to God the damaged sub-Christian views of God that we've all developed along the way and allow God to restore his own image in you. And I know that it doesn't happen always for us simply by thinking about it. I think a lot of times this, this, happens to be, this needs to be healed in us in the way that we live, in our experiences. And so for our own sake, and also for the sake of those who are not here yet, who are living their lives, living and dying, without knowing who God is in Jesus, who are living and dying with damaged, defective, sub-Christian pictures of God that all of us develop, for our sake and for theirs, I want to invite you to respond as Jesus invites you to reflect the good image of God in the world. Jesus said this to his followers a long time ago, right in the middle of a famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus reinforced this picture of God to people. He said, you know who God is, right? God, God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He wills good. He's not out there with sin radar looking to bomb you off the map. God makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust alike. And so I'm not asking you to love your neighbors and hate your enemies like other people might teach based on their picture of God. But I'm asking you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you based on your picture of God, based on the picture of God that you meet in me. Jesus said, so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven, so that you may be chips off the old block, so that you might reflect the image of God to those who don't know God yet. And so as you bring your innocent Galileans to Jesus in prayer this morning and throughout this week, as you lay that down and ask Jesus to heal and to restore your picture of God, I want to ask you to ask Jesus a second question. And that is, Jesus, where do you want me? How do you want me to reflect this image now to others? Because it'll bring hope to their life. Because it'll bring hope to them as they live and hope to them as they die. 
And I think because we won't actually know it, we won't receive it fully until we begin to live it out. You know that old thing about when you have to teach something, then you really learn it, explain it to kids, explain it to somebody, you understand it? I think as we begin to live it out, as we begin to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, we'll begin also to apprehend, to understand the goodness of God to us even in the midst of those things. So I'm gonna close this time here in a time of prayer and just begin this process of bringing our wounds and our misunderstood pictures of God to the feet of Jesus and asking him to heal us. So let's join together in prayer. God, you are not far from us in our pain. You've come to be right here with us in the midst of it. Jesus, you were made flesh. You experience what we experience. Pain and hunger and betrayal and suffering and injustice. You know. And so we bring our things to you. You know what's happened in our lives. God, we lay down our hurts. The ways that we've been wounded. The suffering we've experienced. The injustice in our lives. The injustice in the world that just seems like God, it shouldn't be. We know that you sowed good seed. We know that you're not out there finding Galileans to bomb. Would you heal our picture of you? Would you help us know that your character is good, that your will for us and that your will for your world is deeply and permanently good? Restore us, God. Take the cap off the joy in our life that's put there by our damaged pictures of what you're like and restore our understanding of you in Christ. And God, we ask also that you would show us where do you want us to live this out? How do you want us to reflect this picture, your nature that we know in Jesus to the world? And we pray that as you lead us that you'd give us the courage to follow, that step by step you'd work in us, restore our knowledge of you, and God, would you let the light shine. Let the light of your hope and your love and your deep, permanent goodness shine for all the world to see that they too would be restored. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.